You've tuned in to the Round Table Podcast, episode 73. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Dave Robison, and you've tuned in to the Round Table Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show and pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then, then we dive into it. Then, then we inject it with nanites that, that it penetrates the cell walls, de, deregulating, deregulating. I'm making up shit as I go. Deregulating the DNA of the story, recombining it with that of a rabid chimp and an intelligent aardvark. And just to see what the heck happens. Ultimately, this, the, 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 the focus of our DNA recombination is that we can transform a raw story idea into to literary gold that is our goal and and that goal does not happen without having a guest host to help guide us through the treacherous waters uh, of the brain maelstrom and to that end uh, i'm not gonna waste any time uh let me invite back to the big chair here at the round table our guest host from last week's 20 minutes with mr sam sykes sam dude thank you for coming back and I cannot tell you how intrigued and delighted I am uh, uh, that we can get into a, a story brainstorm together. Thank you so much. Well, my pleasure. <laughs> you, you took me by surprise. <laughs> I was supposed to take a lot longer. I, take- I am I am posting pictures of a cat on a toilet, and <sighs> I, I got distracted. <laughs> So that's, that's on me. Uh, uh, I can just leave that be, or or we can take another swing at it. Your call. No, let's let's go ahead. It's out there. All right, it's out there. It's on, dear friends. <laughs> this is this is why we love the round table. Now, Sam, every time you drop a book into the world, uh, the world stands up and take notice. So I, I'm eager to find out, uh, dude, what what's on your writer's table these days? What what's what's coming up in the world of Sam Sykes? All right. Well, uh, the city stained red. It just came out, and it's been doing very well. So, any of my readers that are listening to this, thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> it has been a complete joy to see that book do extremely well, and to see how much people have liked it. And you know, if you did like it, good news. There's another one coming out. <laughs> uh, the Mortal Tally is the sequel and it will be out uh I believe this summer but uh it in any event I just finished it and it's going into editing and I I I believe it'll be pretty good uh I only stumbled and hesitated for a second because my conscience piped in and said well you know those last 5 chapters <laughs> wrote are actually a bit of a punch in the emotions aren't they and I'm like Ooh. yeah but I, I don't need to warn them. But I just did. That's right. Hitting people in the fields, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, no, you people like being punched in the fields. Absolutely. So 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 that's coming out this summer. And, of course, there's more in the series, yes? Yes. And uh, the next book beyond that will be God's Last Breath, which Ooh. will come out uh, 2016. Fulfilling the promise of the series title, Bringing Down Heaven. Right. Awesome. Very cool. I, I I I can add myself to the long list of people looking forward uh, uh, to to seeing how this series unfolds uh, with such a strong line in the sand that 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 city stained red represents. Uh, uh, this is going to be awesome. 
I now, believe so, yeah. What's, is, is this the sum total of, of your creative exploration, Sam, or are there other works that you're, uh, that you're uh, exploring as you go through this? I am doing a novel with the Paizo people because I, I got extremely excited about the Pathfinder setting. Very cool. They asked me to do a novel for it, and I said, yeah. Outstanding. I, uh, well, yeah. Who, why, <laughs> why would you say no? Exactly. Well, I, awesome. like, I, I, was, I was interested, and then they sent me their world guide, and I read this world they had created, and I was extremely interested after that. What was it that, it, that caught your imagination? They have a gorilla king. <laughs> like this sound this sounds weird, but like there is actually a city ruled by a sentient gorilla. And I thought, holy crap. Let's just stop reading. We're gonna do this at that point. Yeah, sure. I'm like, no, I'm in. <laughs> but to me that that said something. That said these guys are absolutely not afraid to do something that sounds just because it sounds cool. Yeah. And I'm like, holy shit! You're there. Yes, I'm in. I'm fucking in. So, what's your what's your timetable for that? Uh, it should be out this year. Really awesome. Okay, some parallel stuff. Very cool. Right. You now, know, uh, don't don't like publishing being what it is. It might not be out this year, but I we are certainly going to try for that. That's the plan. That's good. Good start. And <laughs> like most first drafts, it'll change. Right. Cool. Cool. What about uh, what about conventions? Are you are you making any convention scenes? Yeah, I will be at Phoenix Comic Con, which is my home con, and I and we are doing another Batsu game this year. And for our friends that don't know the Batsu game, what is that? Uh, all right, it is me and a panel of seven authors, and they cannot laugh. Seriously? Like, I will do my best to make them laugh, and if they laugh, they get punished by <laughs> eating hot salsa. <laughs> We did this with Mike Cole last year, and we made him barf. I was going to say. <laughs> we, we, we had an immense amount of fun. I assume this is for charity, or is this just gladiatorial combat? No, uh, I have, I Phoenix Comic Con appreciates me, and last year I decided I was just going to squander all that goodwill in just one hilarious <laughs> panel, and then... Uh, it it just, and they decide yeah let's do it again yeah and then they said that was really fun let's do it again I'm like oh, <laughs> all right okay fella awesome awesome very cool well friends definitely make the scene to Phoenix Comic Con for for that bit of of ribald delight uh, what else you got uh, I will probably be at New York Comic Con maybe San Diego like uh, a lot of these I don't know until like a few days before. Sure. But, uh, well, not a few days, but, you know, like a few weeks. I will be at Gen Con. Ah, very cool. And I enjoy the hell out of that. Uh, Are you going to be on the Writer's Symposium track? I will. I will. I was there last, I was there last year, and I really enjoyed it. God, I missed you. I was there. Holy I, yeah, I well, it was my first time there, so I was sort of sussing it out. But gotcha. now that I know what it's about, I will be, like, loud and obnoxious. <laughs> no one will miss Sam Sykes. Exactly. Now, I'm, I'm hearing Comic-Cons and Comic-Cons. Uh, do you, Sam, do you aspire to, to being a comics writer? Uh, yes. I, I, you know, I would uh, aspire is a weird word. Like, I don't know exactly what sort of future in comics there would be for me. I really love writing comics. Uh, in fact, 
if you go to my website, go to samsykes.com slash comic, you will find a comic I actually wrote because I was getting extremely tired of having to explain what my books were about. <laughs> so I thought, well, let's just make a comic and call it good. And then I will be able to tell people what, and it's worked out really well. Uh, it's with Ashley Cope. Uh, she, she illustrated it. I wrote it and she does unsoundedcomic.com and which you ne- you definitely need to look out, look out for because it's fantastic. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I would absolutely adore writing comics. I've had a, I had a complete blast doing this one. I, I, I anticipate, Sam, that as, as things unfold moving forward, that, that we will eventually be, be seeing your byline on, on some graphic novel goodness in, in not too much time. Well, look, let's, uh, I'll make sure all of that goodness gets into the liner notes so that our fans can, can peruse, uh, uh, the con schedule, the books that are out there, all of that goodness. What I'd like to do right now is I'd like to take a pause and, uh, give some, give some podcast airtime to another fabulous podcast or, or ebook or, or some other creative fabulosity that's happening out there in the world. And when we come back, I would love to workshop a story with you. What do you say? Let's let's do it. I'm down with that, too. Friends, don't you go anywhere. We'll be right back. Brian Lincoln Productions presents an exciting new audio drama, Hidden Harbor Mysteries. Hidden Harbor is a city of light beset by darkness. One of my girls what works the streets says there's an army of women. Barbara Wilson uses her mystical powers to defend the innocent. Give me strength to continue my pursuit of those who've done evil in this city. While others scheme in the shadows to destroy her. Fan Phantom, they call you. You're out there somewhere. And I will have you. Valiant heroes. I'm used to making deals with the devil, but this is a first time. Black-hearted villains. I expect she will be difficult to break. Pulse-pounding action. As the forces for good battle the architects of evil. Confound it, Barbara. I knew something like this would happen. You went in without thinking. We are bound by heavy chains. A simple leash can feel like freedom. Hidden Harbor Mysteries is written by Jay Smith and produced by Brian Lincoln. Find out more at HiddenHarborMysteries.com. Welcome back, dear friends, and now it's time to get down to the roundtable goodness, the the meat and potatoes and the dessert all rolled into one, because that's just how we roll around here. The Story Workshop. And the Story Workshop does not happen without a bold, courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer stepping up and, and offering their, 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 their nascent idea for rumination, consideration, and, and alchemization. Ooh, I just made that up. That's good. I'm going to hold on to like that it. one. <laughs> and, and dear friends, our, our guest writer for this episode started writing stories when she was eight years old. Uh, her first story was about Indiana Jones, uh, and, and really, whose wasn't? Uh, and she wrote it on pages that she tore out of her school books. 
uh, when she's not herding her three children through the garden of their Johannesburg home, she surrounds herself with words in all their glorious forms. She is the submissions editor for an online magazine, the lead technical writer for a fast-growing software company, a dedicated author, and a voracious reader. Her short stories can be found in numerous anthologies on Amazon.com, and she also has her novel, which is about the zombie apocalypse with a dash of psychological terror and a sprinkling of guilt out there as well. You can look for A Taste of You, which was published back in December 2012. Dear friends, please welcome to the big chair here at the roundtable, Angela Meaden. Angela, thank you so much. I know it's never easy to step up and put your put your your child out here for scrutiny, uh, especially from the likes of this Motley crew, but I am so glad you did. Thank you, ma'am. Um, thank you for having me, Dave. I'm really excited. Let's go. Awesome. Very cool. Well, then let's just dive into it. I'm, I'm down with that as well. Uh, uh, here's the deal, Angela. We're going to give you five to eight minutes. Uh, uh, tell us uh, the name of the story. Uh, give us an a, a elevator pitch. Tell us about the themes, the world. Introduce us to the characters. Give us some tent poles of the story as you see it unfolding and uh, and we'll dive into this i'm i'm gonna get out of the way ma'am the mic is all yours okay let's see um the story is called the dance of the dead it's a dark fantasy story and i imagine it as a standalone novel uh, the hook is a demon possessed scholar must master the evil within him before a powerful warlord destroys everything he believes in this is a story about knowledge overcoming superstition and about sacrificing yourself for the greater good. The story is set in a world similar to ancient northern Africa. I've drawn upon the history, myths, traditions and cultures of the time um, to build this world. The Wagadu Kingdom has grown fat off the gold and salt trade routes that flow through the capital city of Kumbe. Ruled by the kings of gold, this kingdom has stood for a thousand years and is a grand repository of knowledge and wealth. To the north is the kingdom of the Zoraida, ruled by Queen Lujane. The capital city is the biggest port on the continent and is the major interchange between this continent and the as yet unnamed continent to the north. Um, sorry, the city is called Mara. Mara is well known as a haven for artists and scholars. Gut is the capital city of the Alka. This pious civilization is ruled by a zealous warlord on a mission to convert the heathens to the only true religion. The protagonist of the story is the scholar Akachi. He is possessed by a demon while trying to escape the Alka invasion of Kumbe. His positive traits are determination, loyalty, and intelligence, while his negative, negative traits are cowardice and naivete. Akachi's main motivation is to preserve the knowledge of his culture and to protect his people from the brutality of the Alka army. Akachi's arc takes him from being a nervous scholar to a man confident enough to battle a demon. He's supported by the warrior Ekundayo. He's the king of the Wagadu. Ekundayo is an adaptable soldier and an inspirational leader. However, he is aggressive and has a quick temper. Ekundayo goes from being an arrogant king to a rogue mercenary who has to turn to crime to save his kingdom. Queen Lujane leads the Zoraidon. She is shrewd and concerned for the people of her country. However, she is insular and often too concerned with proving herself to the old god. Lujane goes from being an unsure monarch trying to cling to her rule to an epic queen completely in charge. The primary antagonist is Ezariah, the demon lord of the dead, who has possessed Akachi. He wants to raise an army of undead and just kill as many people as possible. 
I want to tell this story through three POV characters. That's going to be Akachi, Ikundaya, and Lu Jane. Um, the story opens at Akachi's graduation ceremony in Kumbe, where he is accepted into the ranks of the scholars of the Great Library. Ikundaya receives word of the approaching Aka force and sends his armies out to meet them. On the night that the Aka attack Kumbe, Akachi and his mentor are in the Great Library, stuffing books into a bag for Akachi to take to Mara. Akachi makes it out of Kumbe with help from one of Ikundaya's bodyguards. The city falls and Ikundaya is taken captive. Akachi reads one of the books and is possessed by the demon Ezariah. At the time, he feels a bit funny, but doesn't know what's going on. Shortly afterwards, he's also captured by the Aka. They take him to a village outside Kumbe where they're keeping their prisoners. He's thrown into a hut with Ekundayo and some other men. When the Aka come to take Ekundayo for questioning, Ezariah makes himself known for the first time. He encourages Akachi to wake up a sleeping man who is actually dead and to tell the man to free Ekundayo, which he does. Akachi is appalled by what he has done, even though it's the only way he and Ekundayo managed to escape the walk-in. The two men decide to travel to Mara together. Akachi still wants to deliver the books while Ekundayo believes that Queen Lu Jane will help him in the fight against the Alka. They encounter a number of difficult situations, each one worse than the last, and Akachi has to relinquish more and more control of himself to Ezariah in order to survive each trial. They reach a small village which the Aka have raided. All the people are dead except for a baby. Akachi is torn apart by grief. He can't cope with the killing and he finally gives in to Ezariah's urging that they start raising the corpses to form an army. Ikundaya refuses to be a part of it. He leaves with the baby to make his way to Mara on his own. I'll pick up on his story later. Akachi and his army of undead dog the Aka, fighting and winning small battles and growing with each new corpse. They happen upon a village which seems familiar. Akachi follows an instinctive pool and lands up at his childhood home. A sigil of one of the minor deities is carved into the front door and it disables Ezariah when Akachi enters the house. He meets his sister there and tells her about the war and the demon and the terrible things he's done. She convinces him to destroy his army. That night, the Aka attack and capture Akachi's sister. He manages to escape and flees into the mountains to find the village's hiding place. There he is reunited with his parents. The next day, Akachi's sister appears, but she has been followed by the Aka. The entire village is massacred and Akachi is terribly wounded. He awakens to find everyone dead. He can't bear being separated from his parents so soon after being reunited, and he's losing his mind at this point. He also feels guilty because he had just disbanded the army that could have protected them. He raises his parents and sets off back to Kumbe. On his way, he is captured by a pair of Aka paladins and is taken to a prison camp outside of Kumbe. He manages to convince one of the paladins to take him to the Great Library so that he can say goodbye to his mentor. Akachi finds his mentor's remains in the library and convinces the paladin that they cannot allow the Aka to continue their violent conquest. Akachi raises the corpses in Kumbe. They defeat the Aka force there and set off toward Gat, where he hopes to put a stop to the warlord for good. The paladin leads him and his army into the citadel where he confronts the warlord. He discovers that the warlord is also possessed by a demon. They fight, Ezariah and Akachi wrestling for control. Eventually, Akachi manages to subdue Ezariah and uses the demon's power to kill the warlord and cast the second demon into the void. During the confrontation between Akachi and Ezariah, he uses the book, which he was initially possessed by, he uses that book to find a way to force the demon into corporeal form and they battle. Akachi destroys the demon and is free.
I haven't forgotten about Ekundaya. After he leaves Akachi, he meets up with a band of mercenaries and they travel to Mara to ask Lujain for help. She refuses and Ekundaya decides to go rogue and take his small force into Gut to assassinate the leader of the Alka. There they meet up with Akachi and the two go into the citadel together. I'd love to explore Lujain's story, but I just don't know how to do it right now. I think she's a powerful, interesting character, but I'm not sure how to portray her. I'd like to send her out on the front line to fight the Arca, maybe. Um, you've probably noticed that military tactics are not my strong point, so <laughs> any suggestions any suggestions you have about decisions and strategy are most welcome. Very good. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Holy smoke. Well, well done, Angela. Yeah, Nicely done. Like- Holy crap. Thanks, guys. Uh, uh, all right. So before we dive into this, let me let me just lay this out on the line. The patented roundtable podcast disclaimer. Uh, uh, Angela, you're, you're about to receive a, a veritable cornucopia of, of ideas, possibilities, insights, suggestions, and inspirations. And it's important that you acknowledge the simple, simple fact that everything said from this point forward by myself or our guest host, Sam Sykes, might be complete bullshit. Uh, this, ma'am, is your story. You decide what stays and what goes. We're, we're just here to, to throw a bunch of mud on the wall and see if any of it sticks. Are you cool with that? I am totally cool with that. <laughs> awesome. Then let the mud flinging begin. Uh, not that I think there's going to be a lot of mud. There's a lot of really good food here to be chewing on. Yeah. Uh, as is our want at the round table, we take a quick once around the table just to get first impressions and, and ask some questions of clarification. So uh, we'll start with our guest host, Sam Sykes. Uh, lead us off. What, what are your first impressions of Angela's story idea? And, and what questions do you have to help clarify the story terrain? Oh, my first impression is that this is really cool. <laughs> yeah, like, thank I mean, you. That, that's, uh, that sounds like a really interesting idea, a r- extremely unique setting. I I really like the idea. Here here's my problem is uh the minute you said demon possessed scholar, like I instantly became enamored with that idea. <laughs> like every okay. everything else, everything else seemed like still rich and meaty but that was still that was still like the most interesting part by far uh like just hearing about that and in i really want to hear more about that demon and i really want to hear about because i i just have this image of if it's a scholar and a demon surely they are talking once in a while like I, I don't see it as going down like the scholar, like trying to ignore the demon or so forth. I see him like trying to approach it in a, you know, academic way. And that would involve maybe talking with the demon. And, I, you know, I like the idea of him maybe coming to the idea that, well, you know, this demon could actually help things. And it might be uh, our best chance at uh, at defeating the Alka. Sure. Uh, so I am I'm just totally enamored with that. And uh you know the other the other the, cent- the other central two characters don't seem to have quite as much going on. Yeah, not as compelling. Not not as compelling, and uh, they don't really tie in because this this isn't the like the main premise is that the Alka need to be stopped, but it seems to me like the story is all about the demon and. Uh, and the scholar. In, in fact, the, the the big climactic event is the fight against demons. Basically. Yeah. So it feel it feels like uh, the king and the queen. Their story does not really link in to uh, the demon and the scholar. And I I think 
they need to they need to touch each other more. These plots that would be something to explore as we, as we move forward. Agreed. Right. Right. Agreed. Any other thoughts or or questions? Things that had you scratching your head? Uh, I did I did question the need to have uh, the Alka King or the Alka Warlord also be demon possessed. I think that kind of undercuts it a little. Like I I feel like one of the main conflicts here might be two people doing the right things for the wrong reasons because like I feel like the uh the demon possessed scholar resisting uh religious overthrowing like that's a good thing to resist but the way he's doing it is completely weird meanwhile you have the warlord who is ostensibly bringing law and order to a warring continent which you know we're all for that but he's doing it via violent religious conversion so there's that and, you know i, I want to add a caveat this is just where i would go with that and it absolutely doesn't have to be where you would go with that but it feels to me like a lot of this discussion a lot of the discussion around this dis- this story revolves around who is going to be in the right here yeah and you know maybe the the ultimate tragedy of this uh story is that it comes down to brute force and it's like oh well we didn't solve that as we could have what what do you see uh angela as as that that, that final conflict what is, what does that final conflict represent um for me it was always the fact that Akachi has to dig really deep inside of himself and do the right, the wrong thing for the right reasons. Right. Um, definitely that pulling, you know, taking the step that he knows is wrong each time he takes these smaller steps throughout the story. Um, and I do have a, quite a lot of interaction between the demon and the scholar himself. Very um, good. We get quite a lot, you know, we come to an understanding of who the demon is and uh, as much as you can for a demon. Um, so I think the main conflict definitely is between those two characters. Um, you answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and it, it certainly frames the question, I think. Like uh, one piece of advice I gave to some some writers at a uh, conference in Surrey, British Columbia, was about villains and antagonists. And I said, I, I still think this is really good advice, uh, we we need to relate to an antagonist on either an emotional or a logical level. Like, on some level, we need to understand why they're doing what they're doing. So, you know, I'm not sure where you would, uh, like, where you see the demon going through or where the demon is coming from. But I, I, I think it would behoove us to, like, have that demon be the logical side of things. Yeah. And you know maybe maybe tell Akachi is like well look you might not like raising the dead but this is the only means of stopping a violent religious forced conversion. Mm-hmm. It's like that, and you know we would be able to say like God that demon is a bad bad dude, but you know he makes a good point there. We don't really we're kind of out of options here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At, at what price do you do the right thing? Yeah, and you know likewise the Alka warlord we could relate on an emotional level. You know him saying like well. Once we're all one religion and one people, then we will have no more need for war. And it's like, all right, well, that's also true. We're fighting for peace. Yeah, you know, we are, you know, maybe he believes that, you know, his legacy is going to be awful, but his, uh, you know, his heir's legacy or his successor's legacy will be one of peace, and he's willing to 
take that sacrifice. Well, and that kind of raised the, the question for me. Uh, Angela, you had, you had raised uh, Ezariah, the demon, as the primary antagonist. Yeah. And I, you could argue, depending on how this story evolves, that that the demons are kind of catalysts, but not necessarily the 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 true antagonist. And and I might be getting too 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 highbrow and and philosophical about this, but uh, 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 the 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 conflict that has torn these countries apart. And the ambitions, the religious ambitions, the political ambitions that have brought about the need for Akashi to to be placed in this situation, uh, uh, th- those seem to be like the root cause. the The demon is a symptom of of a much much larger, you know, whether it be greed or or ambition or whatever. I, I don't know. Could could we argue that the the people that are Conjuring these demons and and invoking them into the world are are the true antagonists in the context of Akachi's story. Uh, um, I mean, you, you could. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't done it like that. Um, I mean, as it stands, the the demon is sort of a holdover um, in a relic um, that sort of accidentally happens to to land in. He's in this book. He's been bound to this book, and then when Akachi reads it, he becomes possessed. But um, I haven't really looked into like why is he there? Okay. Well, why? Why you you cited his his primary motivation is to kill as many people as possible. Why? What What does that do for him? I don't really know. <laughs> I think we need to figure that out. In, yeah. in order in order to make Ezariah a, a, a well rounded antagonist, if we're going to go that route, and, we, and I can see how we could. Um, then, then I think we need to understand what Ezariah's end game is, because his motivations uh, uh, need to clash diametrically with Akachi's, which will just make that conflict that much more profound. Uh, right. Uh, so, so exploring that as we move forward, I think would be a good thing. Yeah, um, but it, it seems like Ezariah's end goal, kill everyone and raise them as undead, you know, might be seen as sort of the same thing as uh, the Alka kings or warlords. Sure. Uh, thing is like, well, you know, if everyone's dead and they are all un- undead, then you will still have no need for a lot of this. Uh, it's the ultimate peace. These differences that yeah. destroy everyone. That's an idea anyways. Well, an exploration of, of you know, peace. You know, what is, is peace something to strive for? Is that really the goal? Everybody louds it up as, as this is this thing we must strive for always. But is it? Because, you know, Ezariah's version of peace is, is very tranquil. Not yeah. a lot of fun. Right. But, <laughs> uh, but it definitely qualifies as peace. So so maybe that's a, another theme that, that, that could be could be explored in, in as you move forward with the stories. You know, what are we really fighting for? Right. So I really liked the idea, and we, and we didn't get a lot of time uh, uh, with with the queen with with Lujane. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I definitely want the with uh, Lujane to be a bigger part of this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I feel like she has a lot of potential, just because in my mind she's this really powerful woman. But right. I just I haven't really delved into what she can do, and I. I've tried to like have her go out and, and be on the front lines, and that really didn't work for me. And then I tried to like, right. have her at home, and, and that didn't work for me. So I'm a little bit at a, a loss for her. 
Well, uh, you know, Nora Jemison, another great author, uh, says that we frequently, when, when people try to write, uh, powerful women, they almost rely too much on them getting out there and kicking ass from the front lines. Like, you yeah. don't have to do that. Yeah. Leadership, I feel, is, you know, especially since it sounds like she's going to be one of the last holdouts against the Alka incursion. Like, yeah. she, she might have, problems of a completely different nature and you know a recurring theme in this story sounds like sacrifice mm -hmm. yeah. so maybe she has a lot of interesting maybe she has some interesting ideas there like does she give up does she surrender to the alcas just to save her people and you know go through like a peaceful conversion or does she can or does she meet like akachi and think well you know this is this demon thing might actually work out. What if we didn't get a demon in some frail scholar by accident, but purposely induced one into a brave warrior and used him to fight the the uh, the Alka? That's an intriguing concept because <clears throat> having having her submit and try and and you know peacefully uh, 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 integrate the the Alka into the tribe would give. Angela and the reader some insights into the Elka that we don't get normally. All we see right. them on at this point is die, die. Uh, and now if we get to see them as an occupying force, in right. fact, maybe that's already mm -hmm. happened. Maybe that's the first greeting meeting of Queen Lujane is during the ceremony of transition. Yeah, when well, it does. It, you know, it doesn't even have to be an occupying force. She could just be entertaining. Sure. Yeah. Like having Elka ambassadors, but presumably People have shacked up with the Alka, you know, primarily through violent conversion. But, I mean, a lot of religions spread because at some point they introduced the idea of laws and codified ethics so that your neighbor couldn't just come come into your house at night, stab you and steal your sheep and run away and no one would stop him. Like people like. Religions that actually took hold, people actually found they enjoyed having a system of laws by which to live. Mm -hmm. So it could it could just very well be that the Alka brought law to a lot of lawless places, but then they're trying to bring law to places with other laws. And you know maybe Lou Jane's problem is like, well, we like our laws just fine. Your laws are pretty crazy. That's an intriguing backstory mm -hmm. for the Alka, actually. I yeah. like that because it, it gives them that foundation of, of legitimacy, of, of, of honor. And it's, it's just been twisted, tainted as, as their ongoing growth and success turns them into this belief in their own righteousness and sends them out their way is the only way. Ba-bam. So I, I really like the, you know, the, the, the trifold POV that you've established, whether you intended to or not. You've got a scholar which which can introduce this this whole philosophy and and the the thoughts and the culture you've got a warrior in in Ekandayu, uh who can bring that 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 military mindset and that perception into that aspect of the culture and then you've got a ruler you've got the queen uh, uh so the the reader is treated then to the these three very disparate but by their very nature they have to interact in some way in order for success to occur. And I really think that's powerful. So I, I would love moving forward. I would love to see a way to, to weave those three characters and their stories a little more tightly so that Angela has a, 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 a some, some, some solid ground beneath her storytelling feet. Right. I feel like, uh, I feel like 
the story will in fact hinge on Lou Jane's decision. Like I feel that the way to involve her more is to give her sort of control of the big red button, so to speak. <laughs> uh, like I feel that uh, she, you know she might be talking to both Akachi and Ekundayu, and you know, trying to weigh each option and ultimately how the story ends will go on what she decides, who she decides to side with. Right. Right. Now now does does Lu Jane have any connection to Akachi at the beginning of the story, Angela? No, she has none. Um but she has a standing sort of relationship with Ekundayo uh, just based on their class. Um you know they they're rulers of neighboring kingdoms so they 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 know each other but she's never actually interacted with akachi before maybe we could work some maybe maybe the order that akachi belongs to could be some sort of uh, a a scholastic or or spiritual order that kind of pervades the, the, the kingdoms in some way have kind of a uh, we, we, we don't want to do anything but spread good new, or, or information and, and knowledge to people. So let us in and and we will be advisors to your to your highness, that type of thing. The, the outlook of these two countries is definitely more uh, one of not of wanting to pursue knowledge and to and to protect um, like arts and culture and stuff. And so there is some space definitely there for a link. Um, like you say, some connection between them. We could have a. Uh, uh, a university or something where they, they trade scholars. I mean, that's definitely, I could work that in. Okay. I like that idea. That's working uh, in my head. Yeah. Keep, keep in mind, uh, you know, the, that, that relationship does not necessarily have to be totally like joyous and embracing. Uh, yeah. even, even the most benevolent rulers still prefer to have the authority. So maybe Lou Jane is, she, you know, she likes the idea of embracing scholarship and so forth, but at the same time, she's eyeing these guys and is might be kind of wary about them bringing like radical new ideas, yeah, into yeah. into her kingdom, like because that might lead to social unrest or, or you know, like it sounds like Lujane is going to be a very a, a woman who thinks first of her people and of keeping stability. Sure. Maybe maybe there's been a a, a conflict in the past. Maybe they had tried to instill some kind of I don't know school system or or some program from from the 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 order that Lujane actually you know, really put her foot down and said oh hell no uh, uh, and so there's there's a, a tension there uh, a philosophical tension between the, the the queen and this order which would put Akachi's footing uh, very tenuous uh, in, at least in his initial engagements with her right I'm I'm curious Angela uh, the the presence of demons uh, in here is this. How, how does that figure into, and I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time on world building, but in terms of the culture, the presence of demons, demons bound into books, demons that can invest uh, uh, frothing warlords who, who are seeking to, to bring peace, are demons common in this world? They're not, and they're not widely known about either. It's, uh, it's a surprise. It's they're, they're like the people behind the chessboard playing chess, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's how I saw them. So they're they're pulling the strings, puppet masters almost. Um, so they've sort of they've always been there. They just yeah. Don't, they just don't make themselves known. Yes, that's the idea. And I also have a pantheon of um, like not demons, but gods who are more benevolent. Right. Um, who also, you know, you kind of 
write your talisman and pray, but you don't see the God's interaction in the world. Um, and then that, that sort of comes in more in the story where we start to see uh, the influence of the gods on the world and the demons themselves as well. Cool. So this is almost like the beginning of the end times. You know, the demons have always been content to be puppet masters and players, and the gods have been aloof and, and gently nudging the destinies of men. But is, is are, are, we, are we approaching a time now where the demons are becoming more overt? I mean, here's a guy who's saying, yes, raise the dead, let's make an army. Let me make myself known among the land. Are, are the demons making a bid for, for control or for, or for the, the subjugation of, of this world? In my head, I, that's how I've seen it. I, definitely, yeah. Okay. I like. I want to. I want to revisit very briefly. I said I didn't like the idea of the Alka warlord being possessed by a demon, and I still don't. But you know, hearing this puppet master thing, I kind of like the idea of a demon somehow influencing him, like being the one to whisper in his ear, like, "Hey, man, yeah, you need you need to convert this world. Like, you you you've seen a lot of lawlessness. You got to do this, and maybe." Uh, Isariah's uh, interest then is he can sense, you know, maybe the demons have rivalries going on and he can sense a fellow demon afoot. And one of the reasons he wants to get involved is to put a stop to another demon asserting dominance over this land. Yeah. Yep. Angel, let, let, me, let me ask you, this, this warlord who is possessed of the demon, he's not of the Alka, is he? He is. He is of the Alka. Okay. Yes. He's the, so he's the Alka warlord. I, I just had a thought, and and I, this is this is one of those could be complete bullshit. Um, but the the position that you place uh, uh, Akachi, where it's revealed that he must fight the demon. What if what if it's not the Alka warlord that? Yeah, I don't know if this will work. But what what if, what if it's Lujane, who has that final. What, what if she's been tempted by the demons? She's been holding it at bay uh, all this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so this final conflict, you know, the, the Elka seem like a catalyst. They seem like, a, a, you know, this, this is a, a, almost a faceless force. And it doesn't, and, and of course it'll be evolved and, and realized through the st- telling of the story. Uh, uh, but having the final confrontation be against the, the the embodiment of this this force. I guess that that, that does make sense from a story arc. I, I can get behind that. It just occurred to me that if we want to tie in Lou Jane more intimately into Akachi's challenges, then placing her in a similar situation and having her make different decisions and then ultimately having them come into conflict at the end could could tie the reader in more tightly with the various choices that are being made and then really have a hard time deciding who they're rooting for at the end. I like that. I, yeah, I do like that. <laughs> I've, I've, I've always thought of my characters in pairs. So I'll have like um, Akachi and the warlord mirror themselves. So their experiences are similar. And then it was Lujane and Ekundayo who mirrored themselves. But I think that I could get a lot more, meat out of it if I switch that and have Akachi and Lujane mirroring themselves so their stories run like you say yeah, into conflict with each other in the end I like that sure because mm. yeah. 
because you're dealing with you know the 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 scholar with the with the weighty matters of thought and intellect, and you've got the ruler mm. with the weighty matters of rulership and dominion, and then you've got in the middle, and and this kind of makes uh, Ekandayo a very cool character. He's the boots on the ground guy. He's yeah. he's the one who has to deal with the consequences of radical thought or or uh, uh, insane rulers doing crazy things. And having him be the lens, you know, for the common man of of the the outcome and in and, and and repercussions of not only the demonic influence that's rising in the land, but also the, the philosophical and the, and the political influences that continue to plague people. I mean, that'll that'll certainly tie in with, with our own situation in the real world. Uh, and you can use the demons as a as a as a layer of of supernatural underneath that. I I don't know how. How well thought out uh, Ekin, Ekindayu's kingdom is, but I was just thinking, like, maybe he is actually not invaded, but overthrown by a faction mm. within. Ooh, nice. Like, maybe, mm. maybe, and you know, you might, you might like this or you might not, but you know, maybe uh, Ekindayu's uh, whole kingdom comes from, you know, rights of succession and whoever is strongest leads. And then mm-hmm. there's a faction within that kingdom that says, well, you know, we don't like this. We want a codified system of laws like the Alka have. And so he's like kind of he's kind of like blown out of his mind when he when he's betrayed by people who are just sort of looking for, you know, someone to make the trains run on time. And they see the Alka <laughs> is doing that. Sure. And so you've got this sympathetic political faction saying, no, King, you're doing it wrong. We want these guys. He yeah. knows that's a bad idea. Uh, uh, but yeah, I love that. Cause, cause that, that again, and, and I, I hate to just keep putting the demons in there, but maybe the, the, the leader of the, of the rebellion has a few dark things whispering in his ear too. Yeah, I mean, I I would I would go sparingly on the demons, especially yeah, because yeah. I I feel I feel like you know I play a lot of I play a lot of video games where the end boss is always like corrupted by some outside influence, and it's like, well, that's not very that that robs them of agency, right? Right. Like, and you know, to get back to something, I'm I'm not 100 percent in love with the idea of uh, Akachi getting rid of his demon at the end. Like, I kind of like the idea of it just being something he has to live with from now on. Like, he's given up too much control and, like... That is his sacrifice. Yeah, like, I I like happy endings. I just don't like happily ever after endings. Like, I like... <laughs> I, and, you know, this is, this is, A this fine might, distinction. <laughs> yeah, this might just be me. I But I like I like endings where the good guys get to walk away, but they're limping. Right. I, I had a friend who used to tell me he likes his heroes with scars. Right. And, so... Yep. So, you know, like, but going back briefly, like Ekendayu and the Alka Warlord, you know, they might be a, a real talk about the Alka Warlord is looking at the big picture here and is like, you know, the, this is a violent revolution right now. But, you know, 50 years from now, when we're all living under one law that we can all get along with, then you'll be thanking me. That's right. It'll be a glorious time in the history and Ekendayu, yeah. Yeah, and Ekendayu can rightly point out is like, well, that's pretty small comfort to all the people you're killing right now. <laughs> and that's where his that's where his mind is. Yeah, and you know, he raises a he could raise a very interesting question of like if you are born in violence, are you ever going to stop? Ooh. Like how many how many bodies are enough? Right. 
and and what and what taint will that leave on your soul moving forward? Yeah, and like this is this mm-hmm. is plagued countless like basically every revolution. Like anytime anytime a new power comes in into onto the throne, they immediately suppress the previous the upstarts that are challenging them. And, you know, it's a very interesting question is like, well, is this really peace if we're going to have to be fighting this battle over and over and over? And again, you're going to be, you know, also by forcing everyone to one religion, you're kind of taking away self-determination. And we're, you know, we're not okay with that. That and you're crushing a a vibrant culture. You know, you're you're killing a culture for all intents and purposes in favor of another. One thing, uh, Angela, you you mentioned during your story pitch, uh, you you had Ekandayu when, when he and Akachi were in prison together. You you had Ekandayu tell Akachi to awaken one of the dead prisoners. Okay, so it's um, at that point it's Isariah, it's the demon. Ah, who, ah I, who I tells misnamed. Akachi. Misnamed. No, no okay. problem. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, okay. Yeah. So that's the the first time he basically raises uh, a corpse. Okay. Um, I specifically don't want to say zombie because this is not a zombie story. Right. Even though they're walking dead people. Especially since you've already got a zombie story out there in the world. We don't want to have too much resonance with that. Sure. Got it. Well, and and maybe maybe the way you present them, maybe the way that the dead are are risen, we can banish that that zombie resonance in some way. Yeah, I'm hoping for that. And they're not just mindless. Like he he raises his family and he takes them with him and he puts – garlands of flowers around his mother's neck and stuff like that so it's it's like deeply disturbing and they're not just like they'll chase you down and eat you kind of zombie definitely not okay. yeah like the idea that they are the people you love but not yeah. that's yep. like that's infinitely more horrifying than shambling zombies definitely. definitely like there there might just be like one aspect of them that's just totally off and that could just you can even like introduce like maybe a friend of Akachi or something and we get to know him while he's alive and then raise him and we get to see for mm. ourselves like well he's he's not the guy we we knew before became friends with sure well and you know you can you can you know talk we can wax a little cosmology here and and talk about how you know when the spark of life has fled a body uh if you're going to raise it you need to replace that spark and what's replaced is Azariah. Uh so so mm. that spark, that essence, that 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 raison d'être uh, uh, of the person is the, the the light that glows within them is now a dark light, uh, filtered through the experience and the awareness of the the person who is risen, but now it's it's driven towards something very very different. Uh, they use the same words, they they wear the same clothes, but the outcomes are just wrong. Mm. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I I don't, you know, I don't know how deep you want to go with that, but uh, if you ever talk to family members of a person who has gone through an incredibly traumatic experience, they always say like, "Well, he's not the same guy." Yeah, and you know, it's you know, death is probably quite traumatic to him. Like, you know, you'll notice. Like I have, I have a friend who uh, who was saw combat in Iraq, and he had a, a absolute hell of a time readjusting to life when he came back, to the point where like he couldn't sleep over at someone else's house. He had to be in a place he could control 
Otherwise, he went into a panic state, and you know he he just he wasn't as easy around certain things as he used to be, and there was always this edge of tension to him for a while. And you know we all we all sort of uh, figured it out, and he sort of came to terms with it. But I think that's a really interesting idea: is the idea of someone who is can still walk and talk like the person they used to be, but there's just something about them. It's almost like it's like a, it's like a supernatural PTSD almost, yeah. and and that could actually be used as a, a a tool to illustrate the weakness of the demon. Yeah, you know, the, the demon himself is is all powerful. I can raise the dead, yes, through my human agents. But the, if 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 the dead that are risen are actually extensions of Azariah, then they can reveal through their actions and behaviors a, a foible, a weakness that, that maybe Akachi through his keen perceptions and knowledge could could leverage as the final tool for how, how to how to best the demon somehow. Yeah. Also just as an idea, you could have maybe not everyone comes back from the dead the same way. Like maybe some people come back and look at themselves and instantly off themselves once again <laughs> sure sure hurl hurl themselves off a cliff or something yeah like the idea is just too much for them yeah there's there, there's too much of their 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 pure self their, their their prior self was too too grounded too solid too aware to to submit to to this this new perception and the world is just wrong for them and they leave yeah yeah i like that that's a whole other novel, guys. All on its own, right there. Well, and, well and you want to illustrate the horror of what Ezariah is doing. Yeah, uh, and you want to avoid the whole shambling undead. So, you know, I'm I'm going to yeah. speak purely mercenary business right now. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I know you imagine this standing as a standalone, and there's no reason it can't do that. But, you know, on the off chance that you might want to continue it, leaving Izariah in Akachi gives you a hook. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, this, this may reveal a little too much about my writing process, but I like, I don't like answering every question. Mm. Sure. Because then I, I, I can't ever come back. And, you know, I believe that the vast majority of questions should be answered, but I don't mind leaving one or two really interesting threads hanging. Sure, because if you if you give the reader a big climactic you know nuclear detonation of a conclusion, and and then then they're content to say, God, I wonder what it'll be like to have a demon in you moving forward. Yeah. But, but you let that go, mm. they're okay with that because you've given them a good right. satisfying story. But it raises that question. Yeah, it's actually a uh, it's actually a a technique that horror movies do. Mm, when yes, they, when they when they don't answer every question. That means that you don't get that closure, and thus when you leave the theater, you're, <laughs> you're still scared. Sure. And the same concept up works with uh, dramatic storytelling. If you don't, you build up all this audience investment in your characters, and if you answer all the questions, then it's like, oh, okay, well, now all that audience investment is concluded, and we don't have to think about this anymore. Yeah, you're right. You actually get to you, you can shelve it and and let it go. Yeah, I don't know if uh if you ever watched uh, Avatar the Last Airbender, but uh there is a character who one of the main uh one of his main thrusts is that he's searching for his mother and he never finds her. And we never find out what happened to her. And that sort of kept the audience intrigued and invested in the show 
after it concluded. Sure. And that character in particular. And that character in particular. So, you know, definitely decide, don't just leave random threads hanging, but, you know, mm. if there's more story to tell, don't be afraid to, like, just let that drift open. Give give yourself a couple of doorways you can explore later on. Yeah, and if you never return to it, well, then uh, your audience will have filled in their own answers and maintained that investment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Angela, we're we're winding down towards the end here, so I wanted to ask you real quick before we cut into our final segment: uh, is, is there anything that you'd like Sam and I to to dive into? Is there anything you want to put on the table for discussion before we start winding down? Well, I mean, you guys have done a great job of my biggest question, which was Lou Jane and how do I deal with her? And I think I've got some really great material there. Um, so I don't really have anything else specific. Sorry. No, that's fine. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm glad we could answer a lot. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's why we do what we do. Well, let's 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 then go ahead and, and do the do the final bit. I want to take one last quick turn around the table and and just give some some summarizing thoughts some some inspiration some ideas whatever uh, uh fill fill angela's pocket with as much literary gold as we can uh so so she'll be fairly frothing at the mouth to get down and start writing this thing uh, uh once we hang up the skype line here so sam I'll, I'll lead off with you sir final final closing thoughts considerations and and ideas for angela uh I'm really excited to read it for one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> Thank you. I, I think I think this setting is one of the just more interesting things I have heard of in quite some time. You know, I have a I have an extremely short attention span, so uh, <laughs> I whenever I read a setting and I'm like, oh, this is Europe, mm. I get I get bored, mm-hmm. like because I have already seen this a thousand times. So I am in, mm. I am intensely interested in seeing like um, a setting modeled after Africa a lot. And I really like the idea of these three points of view characters. I am extremely interested in what happens with Lou Jane because to me, this is where the story hinges. Like though Akachi might fight the battle, I think it's Lou Jane that's going to decide the fate of the world. Uh, so I would just, if she's, I would, I, I think you have good instincts in that, if Lujane is not working on the front lines, don't try to force her there. And if you force her there, don't have her succeed because it doesn't sound like her element. Like, uh, you know, in Game of Thrones, Sansa Stark never lifts a finger in combat, but her story is intensely important with all the maneuvering that she does within the court. So don't be afraid to let her her uh, struggle be you know, more uh, diplomatic or more of the burden of leadership and deciding rather because, I mean, making decisions way more traumatic than uh, (laughs) fighting and bleeding. Well, like being the guy who lives or dies, you know, that's definitely traumatic too. But being the guy that orders that guy to his death and has to live with the consequences. Yeah. Like there's a reason that uh, commanders Generals either tend to be like uh, really hard or, you know, kill themselves. Yeah, very much so. Good advice. Excellent, yeah. Sam. I, I, I'm going to riff a little bit on what Sam invoked. And, and really, Angela, when you first pitched this story idea to me, uh, I, I really honestly got a feeling of Game of Thrones without the six book <laughs> series uh, uh, set against the backdrop of, of an African uh, environment. 
And that really excited me. And and I agree with Sam's assessment that really, at, at, at least at the onset, Akachi had become a, a, a very intriguing character. And I think it's because of that demon uh, uh, that's in him that he cannot extricate himself from. And, and that tension of, you know, whether inadvertently or volitionally, inviting a demon, and I'll use that in heavy air quotes, into your life. Uh, and knowing that you're going to have to deal with the consequences of that is something that I think Ekendayu and Lujane can all be dealing with. And as you as you described the 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 the, the superior or the overcoming of knowledge over super uh, superstition as your initial thematic arc, uh, uh, I think you're also dealing with the the nature of consequences and and the cost of right. What is how much are you willing to sacrifice? What is the cost of doing the right thing? As you said, the the doing doing the right the wrong thing for the right reasons. Uh, uh, that seems to be a thread that weaves through all of these. And that 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 what's the word I'm looking for? That that metaphor of the thread. Uh, uh, as you've set up these characters, Akachi, Ekendayu, and Lujane, as these these embodiments of you know thought and flesh and uh, dominion, the crown, uh, finding, I think the real challenge and the real intriguement as you move forward is going to be finding ways to weave these three stories together and make sure that whether they consciously are aware of it or not, that actions from one are affecting another and and creating that moment in the book where, oh crap, if she does this, oh man, Ekendayu is on his way there. Oh crap, what have you done? Which means the person is automatically going to turn the next page. <laughs> just to see what happens, right? So, uh, uh, I, I like I say, like, as as has been expressed many times, this is a rich, lush, delicious story framework that you set up, Angela, and I am delighted that you brought it, and I, I can't wait to see what happens moving forward. So, so here's the deal, as always here at the roundtable, Angela, and, and Sam and I are both rooting for this. You write this. You get it out in the world somehow, whether it's a traditional publisher, indie pub, you, you self-publish, you put it in a PDF up on your website. It doesn't matter. As long as it's out in the world and people are, are reading it and being delighted by it, you let us know. And when that happens, we will have you back and we will knight you. We will make you a Knight of the Round Table podcast. Ooh. So, yes, that's, that's the carrot <laughs> awesome. right there. You, sure. Are you thank down you with Thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and thank you. I, it's, it's never easy to do what you did. Uh, uh, and I continue to live in awe and respect of all of the guest writers who come forward. So thank you so much for bringing such a fabulous story and, and making this a great discussion, ma'am. It has been an absolute pleasure. I, I'm fired up but unfortunately it's 11 o'clock at night for me, so i can't write i have to go to sleep and go to work tomorrow and that's really going to be difficult your subconscious will will feed on this you'll have wonderful wonderful dreams absolutely i need to make a confession Uh oh i have never well i haven't read game of thrones and oh. i haven't watched past the second season wow that's fine yeah that's a good thing yeah, no. actually so you guys no. are like i see game of thrones and i'm going oh Okay. What does that mean? <laughs> I, well, like it, it's very, it's very popular to say everything is Game of Thrones now. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Like, I've, I've I, 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 I try to avoid bringing it up actually because uh, every day I read. Uh, <laughs> it's the new Game of Thrones. Yeah, no, I read like a YA about two kids. 
running off, and they're like, it's like Game of, it's like Game of Thrones meets Saved by the Bell. And I'm like, how? <laughs> how, does, how does that work? <laughs> meets Jurassic Park. Like Game, every, it's like Game of Thrones meets anything. We just do this. It's because it's 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 the meme. It's it's the thing, the zeitgeist right now. Well, and and when I do say that, I, I mean rich complexity, uh, high stakes, gray moral grounds, and and a world that that is very compelling. Uh, so that's that's what I say when I that's what I mean when I say that. So thank you very much. You bet. Well, Sam, dude. Again, this is why we bring veteran writers onto the roundtable. You you elevated this discussion. You came with some amazing uh, uh, ideas and insights that I think really broke some solid good ground uh, for the story idea and for our listeners uh, in terms of developing their own story ideas. So I really appreciate you making the time, sir. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, and dear friends, as long as we're doling out gratitude, we'll we'll say thank you to you for tuning in. Uh, uh, without you, we're just frothing and flailing to no effect at all. So as soon as you hit that play button, you validate us. You give us a reason to be. Uh, and we're always grateful for that. Uh, so if, if you're feeling the love and you want to pay it forward, uh, feel free to throw out a review on iTunes. And so much gratitude, as always, to those of you who have every single comment, I, I promise you, first of all, is read uh, and appreciated. Uh, the insights there are, are, are considered carefully, and it also helps boost us in the in the iTunes ratings because I named this podcast the Roundtable Podcast, which in retrospect, probably not my most prudent choice in terms of distinguishing ourselves amongst the various podcasts out there. So every little review helps, and we appreciate it. Uh, we do have a forum now on the newly revised and awesome Roundtable podcast. So if you have ideas for Angela, we can continue the discussion right out there uh, and continue exploring the, the rich nuances and possibilities of Angela's world. So, wow, we, we, we have done it again. Uh, I'm, I'm lighting up a cigarette and kicking back on, ah, yes. All right. <laughs> but, you know, here's the beauty of the roundtable. Next week, in just seven days, it happens all over again. We bring back more awesome guest hosts, bringing wisdom and inspiration to our ears, more courageous guest writers, putting forth their story ideas for a frothing brainstorm, more roundtable goodness to be had. And I know. It's seven days away. Holy crap. What are you going to do for the next seven days? Well, Brian Humphrey would tell you, dudes, go right. And I will tell you, you find what you're looking for. So look for the good stuff. Look for the blue label top shelf awesomeness. And if you look for it, you will find it. We will see you in just seven days. Until then, you guys, you stay cool. You be frothy and you be awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Adios. This episode is copyright 2014 by the Roundtable Podcast and released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable Podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, 
visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.